Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. In London, this is The Economist. You're listening to Tasting Menu, a generous helping of our favorite stories from the week that was. I'm Anne McElvoy, head of Economist Radio. And on today's menu... Anthony Scaramucci was White House Communications Director for just 11 short days. He tells us why he thinks President Trump is there to stay. The perils of finding online fame in China. And what would you do with the power to genetically engineer humanity? But let's start with our cover story, which this week proclaimed the next capitalist revolution. We argued that today's capitalism has a real problem, not just the one that protectionists and populists think. Life has become far too comfortable for some firms in the old economy, while in the new economy, tech firms have rapidly built market power. We called for a competition revolution. Since 1997, market concentration has risen in two-thirds of American industries – A tenth of the economy is made up of industries in which four firms control more than two-thirds of the market. We calculate the global pool of abnormal profits to be $660 billion, more than two-thirds of which is made in America, one-third of that in technology firms. This rent-seeking isn't always obvious. Google and Facebook provide popular services at no cost to consumers – But through their grip on advertising, they subtly push up the costs of other firms. Several old economy industries with high prices and fat profits lurk beneath the surface of commerce. Credit cards, pharmaceutical distribution and credit checking. Stock markets value even consumer-friendly entrants, such as Netflix and Amazon, as if they too will become monopolies. There are three ways this excessive power could be limited. First, data and intellectual property regimes should be used to fuel innovation, not protect incumbents. Second, governments should tear down barriers to entry, such as non-compete clauses, occupational licensing requirements and complex regulations written by industry lobbyists. Third, antitrust laws must be made fit for the 21st century. This is far from a magic remedy. But if they drove profits in America to historically normal levels and private sector workers got the benefits, real wages would rise by 6%. Consumers would have greater choice. Productivity would rise. That might not halt the rise of populism, but a competition revolution would do much to restore the public's faith in capitalism. And there's a special report on competition and how to boost it in this week's issue of The Economist, available on all good newsstands. Or if you prefer your news delivered, well, subscribe to us. Go to economist.com slash radio offer, 12 issues for $12 or £12. 
this week's Britain section focused on trying to pass the new draft withdrawal agreement negotiated by the UK and the EU. Brexit will doubtless have many unexpected effects, but this article picked out one game-changing consequence I must admit hadn't quite crossed my mind. England's football Premier League, the richest in the world, is a giant exporter of culture, but it is also a big importer of labour. Last season, 67% of minutes spent on the pitch were played by foreigners. At the most successful clubs, Englishmen are even rarer. They made up just 6% of the minutes played by Chelsea last season. The free movement of people within the European Economic Area, or EEA, allows clubs to sign any European player they can afford. The bar is much higher for players from outside Europe. If these rules had been applied to European players, more than half the foreigners who signed to top-flight English clubs between 1992 and 2018 would have been blocked, finds Laurie Shaw of Harvard University. Unless the rules are changed, all foreign players will face the same hurdles after Brexit that non-Europeans must currently clear. That would drastically reduce clubs' ability to recruit from abroad. Now that would be something of an own goal. Over in our China section, our Chaguan columnist joined the crowds watching a new kind of spectator sport. Boss Tsai, as Mr Who is known online, has for the past year played computer games in a glass-walled studio in Shanghai for eight hours a day, six days a week, showing off his virtual fighting skills and wisecracking to fans, 140,000 of whom follow him on social media. He can make 50,000 yuan, that's $7,190 in a month, more than many former classmates earn in a year. Talent agencies seek out young gamers from provincial areas with few local opportunities and then propel them to the national virtual stage. In addition to placing recruitment advertisements online, Chu Xin sends scouts to schools and internet bars to find talent as young as 16. Lank-haired and slumped in padded swivel chairs, young performers at Chu Xin's studios in Shanghai are kept supplied with witty lines, snacks and energy drinks. But it's not all fun and games. In October, Yang Kaili, a live streamer with tens of millions of followers, was detained for five days for singing a few bars of China's national anthem in a disrespectful manner online, a criminal offence. The big Chinese livestream platforms warn Chu Xin when sensitive topics are trending online and will shut down performers who stray. Even a newcomer like Boss Tsai feels pressure. The minute you get famous, all eyes are on you, he says carefully. More conventional work was the subject of our Money Talks podcast on Tuesday. Traditionally, as Christmas looms, companies bump up their staff numbers to deal with increased demand. But with the tightest labour market in America in almost five decades, companies have been struggling to find the staff. Maria Vilcek told us how some are trying unconventional methods to lure in new hires. Some of them started hiring for Christmas very early. So Coles, a retailer, started hiring in June already. Others are, like UPS, are having big job fairs all around the US where you can take a, a driving test and have your interview straight away on the spot. Companies like Amazon are offering no CV, no interview policies just to, to win it with expediency. But also several of these retailers have timed their pay rises very well with the holiday season. So as of November 1st, Amazon amid much fan fair raised its uh, wages to $15 and that's been attracting a lot of attention amongst potential workers. 
Some jobs are harder to get and keep than others. My latest guest on The Economist Asks was Anthony Scaramucci, who was for 11 brief days last year the White House Director of Communications. Despite that brief tenure, he knows Donald Trump's mind very well as an old friend and ally. So I asked him, will the president run for a second term? No question. He's raised $210 million. He'll have $2 billion uh, at the time that he's ready to run for re-election. He has Air Force One and he has a booming economy. And I'll say this to you, and the person that runs against him will have an internationally recognized nickname for the rest of their lives. Okay, so he'll demolish the person that's running next to them. And so he'll win re-election. And I think so, he'll win re-election. hundred percent. You have to remember the midterms are not a good He's register. getting on in years. I mean, even without the, all the controversy that surrounds the Trump presidency, you think he really wants another four years of this and tussle on that Okay, so hill? the people that say that he doesn't want it, they don't know him. These people don't give up the presidency in. If you're Lyndon Johnson and you're up against the war and Robert Kennedy, you give up the presidency. You don't want to embarrass yourself. But this guy's not giving up the presidency. It's a done deal. And what should a 2020 challenger learn from the president's bullish style? Anthony Scaramucci, our latest guest on The Economist Asks podcast from Economist Radio. Where else? Meanwhile, over on Babbage, our science and tech show, Ken Cookier and Natasha Loder set their ambitions even higher. They were discussing gene drives, genetic modifications that actively spread to change an entire species or indeed wipe it out altogether. But after a serious discussion of the godlike potential and delicate ethics of the technique, things got, well, a bit more fanciful. Oh, I have one question. So if you were given the power of God and you were able to gene drive humanity, what kind of superpower would you give them? Well, of course, I want them to vote with reason and not with passion. <laughs> Is that it? Some a sort of gene drive for, for voting in a particular way? Yeah, I think if we had better politics based on reason rather than ones based on complete ridiculous, non-thinking ignorance, we'd have a better society. That's a very emotional answer. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> you're welcome. What would, so, Natasha, you're not off the hook. Oh, what I, would you code what in would to the I, code? Um, compassion. Oh, that's so beautiful. I know. You're so it? much better than I am. <laughs> it's not a competition, oh, but... It is, it is. It. <laughs> More of that every Wednesday from Babbage. And finally, our obituary remembered a woman who spent her life trying to strengthen and save not one species, but thousands. Ruth Gates, champion of the coral reef. The only object on her desk was a lovely ivory pinkish stone coral, branched like a tree. It would have been much more stunning when the algae lodged in every cell of every polyp were feeding them sugars built from sunlight and colouring them so crazily that she could only gasp, wow, and laugh when she swam past them. Her mission was to keep these marvels alive. It got all the harder as the oceans warmed and acidified and the corals, stressed and angry, for they had feelings, spat out their algae and began to bleach and die. She was the first to show that it happened more in warmer waters. By 2050, they could either all be gone or damaged beyond recovery. And a quarter of marine species, the main food source for half a billion people, depended on them. But she had a plan. Back in her lab, in a gym, or possibly a spa for corals, she put the strongest little beasties in vats and doused them with warming water. Her purpose was not to kill them, but to create super corals by giving them an experience of stress they might remember and prepare for. For corals had good memories. 
Her tinkering drew the ire of conservationists, but she felt this was no time to wait for permission. If some coral colonies survived, there was hope, and she lived on that. What idiots they would be if, after all their talking, there was no coral left. For planet Earth was like a jigsaw puzzle in which corals and giant pandas, savannah and rainforest were all pieces that must fit together. If one piece was lost, what would be the consequences for the others? Well, we can't promise all the answers, but for our best attempts at the world's toughest problems, go to economist.com or Economist Radio on your podcast app. For now, that's our tasting menu. But while you've lent us your ears, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I'm Anne McElvoy in London with my colleagues around the world. This is The Economist.